0: Welcome to the Lifting Lindsay Podcast. We I, I know that at the beginning of every single podcast, I say that I'm really excited for this episode. <laughs> but this one, I'm actually really excited for this episode. <laughs> no, I I'm excited for all of them, but but this one, I have a special guest with me. Um we met what, <laughs> over 10 years ago? <laughs>
1: 10 plus years ago.
0: (laughs) 10 plus years ago. Okay. So this is a, you have to understand I'm interviewing my husband, Alex, and I can never remember how long we've been married. And I feel like in so many aspects of our relationship, I am the man in the relationship. And Alex is the one who remembers the dates and we're coming up on our 13th anniversary. And anyways. (laughs) what you asked me, but somehow it came up like, how long have we been married? And I'm like, yeah, like ten plus years? <laughs> Alex Alex is like, you you know how long we've been married, do you? <laughs> so this is what it's like being married to me, right, hun?
1: Yeah. And if you hadn't if, said it so strangely, like ten plus years, like nobody says that. <laughs>
0: do 10 plus 10 plus i don't get what i don't get what the over issue ten, is. over
1: 10 years that was the issue we've been married over 10 years 10 plus <laughs> it, years ten that was uncomfortable
0: plus something <laughs> it was so it was so funny oh my goodness so how long ago did we meet hon
1: uh <laughs>
0: how long so have bad. we been married <laughs>
1: It was uh, 2008 we got married, so it's been, do the math, 13 years. (laughs) Math isn't my strong suit, so (laughs) 13, 14 years, we're good. We're in the upper upper limits, we're good.
0: 10 plus, plus. I don't (laughs) see the problem, 10 plus, we've been married 10 plus years. I will say that for the rest of my life.
1: (laughs) Until we hit 20, then we can be 20 plus.
0: And even then, I probably won't remember. It'll still be 10+. That's okay. <laughs> okay. So the reason why I wanted to have Alex on, and there have been so many times where me and Alex have chit-chatted in our kitchen and we're like, dang it, I wish so bad we had just had a recorder and we could have just hit record. I wish so bad this entire conversation had been recorded because I feel like you guys would get so much out of our conversations. Alex is, um, he's not just my husband. (laughs) He, um, he has a lot of experience in, in health and fitness and your background of being a competitor. So he's done really well competing. Um, but not just your background in competing, but there's, there's definitely been some uh binging that you there's been food like there's been some coping mechanisms that have been in, put into place that have to do with food for you so i'm really excited to talk to alex we were we were talking about the holidays coming up and sugar is going to be everywhere right and So often with clients and with people who, um, connect with me on Instagram, people will often say, I mean, I'm just addicted to sugar. I'm just addicted. There's nothing I can do. I'm just addicted. But seldom are these individuals just going into the closet with a bag of purely granulated sugar and just downing it with a spoon. Right? So, so. Obviously, there's more to it than that. And the other day, me and Alex were in, in the kitchen, where all of our, you know, we solve world problems in that kitchen.
1: I swear. <laughs> and uh if you, our, if you clocked our kitchen hours of solving world problems, it would be, it would be up there. It <laughs> would be.
0: Um, anyways, he, he Alex brought up somebody on an online forum that he's part of bringing up his, uh, sugar addiction and Alex with his background with addiction and with some coping mechanisms that he's formed was able to kind of take his knowledge, not from an outside standpoint, but actually one who's experienced and I'll, and I'll let you kind of take it away and talk more about that if you're comfortable with it. But, um, he brought up some really good points that can I ask you some questions? This probably isn't what you think it is. Mm-hmm. Is that my cue? That's your cue, hon. That's when you okay. talk, when I stop talking, <laughs> you talk. <laughs> All
1: right,
0: okay. you, you should know this by now. When I'm done with my <laughs> tangent and there's, there's even a slight breath. That's when you enter.
1: Okay, so there's this guy, <laughs> he was, um, we have this business. It's like a, a business chat forum, and that we have a channel in there called Health. That's kind of an outlet for a lot of these business people to talk about their health and sometimes it's mental health, sometimes it's physical health, lifting weights, how they're getting into exercise, whatever. There's a lot of sedentary people in business and work, right? And so um, this guy gets on and he's like, I want to focus on eating more healthy. It's like, but it's so stinking hard. He's mid 20s, he doesn't have like a reason really to lose weight. He's not overweight. He doesn't feel like he's overweight, but he's like, I, I feel like I need to eat healthier. And that's good. That's a fine, good and like worthy motivation. Right. Um, but he's like, I have got this sweet tooth. And often I feel my body just like craving sugar so much. And he starts talking about how he feels like he's addicted to sugar. And he's like, I'm happy with my body. It's fine. I'm mid-20s. My body's really forgiving, so I can kind of eat whatever. And everyone loves to hate that person that can eat whatever they want and not really gain weight. But he's sort of foreseeing that as he gets older, this isn't always going to work, right? Mm -hmm. So he's like, I want to make a more healthy lifestyle. I want to make better choices. But he just feels like it's an impossible wall to climb. So every time he tries, he just ends up binging on sugar or, or just eating garbage. And he feels like I can't get away from this. So there's this feeling of helplessness that comes. And I think a lot of probably your listeners have expressed that before where it's like, I feel like I can't stop myself. And um, having been there and especially while competing, there was this time, man, it was so weird. So every time I'd work out after my workout, I'd have a protein shake and a Pop-Tart or two, right now there was this reward feeling that was happening after every workout. I'd like, oh, I got my Pop Tart and, you know, the 35 grams of carbs in a Pop Tart. And uh 25 or 26 grams of protein from my protein shake. And that was good for a while until I was really hungry one day, or I was really, really tired one day. And I went, we didn't have any Pop Tarts, so I went to the grocery store, bought a box of Pop Tarts, sat in the car post-workout, drank my protein, and then Uh, continued to eat probably 10 Pop-Tarts. And there was this moment in that feeling of like, why am I still eating this Pop-Tart? And it was almost an out-of-body, someone else is in the driver's seat and I'm eating these Pop-Tarts and my stomach is full and I'm not hungry, but I'm still eating it for whatever reason. And it was a very kind of alarming feeling. Um, It was kind of scary because I felt like I wasn't in control. And... I was like, am I binging right now? Like, no, I'm not a binge eater. I don't, I don't binge eat, right? I'm not going to go throw this up. I'm not going to go purge whatever. whatever. Um, and so there was some denial. There was something like, I didn't want to acknowledge what was happening, but there was this feeling of complete powerlessness over this moment. And then afterwards, it kind of settled, and I just felt sick to my stomach because I ate so many freaking poppers. Um, and I kind of sat there like, what just happened? And I don't know how many of your listeners have experienced something like that, um, but that was when I was like, okay, that was that was weird, and and I kind of joked about it with people. It's like oh, I couldn't stop eating Pop-Tarts, and I'm just so hungry. I am, you know, in a bodybuilder hunger state. I'm in a diet. I'm in a deficit. Every sound of food just makes me salivate, and there's all these things about it that were easy to play off and kind of roll with it as. In the culture of dieting, everyone loves to like fantasize about the food that they're going to eat when they're done with their competition. Everyone's like pinning on Pinterest all of these like Nutella cookie, double dipped, deep fried brownie Oreo things. And it's like, oh yeah, I can't wait till I'm done competing and I'm going to eat this. But um, there was definitely like a really unhealthy relationship that was forming. And um, there was something else going on that I didn't understand. So that was. That was like the beginning of my recognizing something was happening. And so I said to this guy, I was like, you, you actually don't have a sweet tooth. Um, I thought I had a sweet tooth growing up, and that's what we always called it. But it's actually a matter of the brain and some signals to the brain that's, that's going on. And we have a part of our brain called the reward center. And I'm not going to pretend to be an expert here, but I'm just going to share what I know. But there is a reward center of our brain that is when you do something, it's sort of like the doggy treat of your brain. And it is the source of dopamine. So when you eat food, a part of your brain, the reward center or the pleasure center of your brain says, good job. And it gives you a little treat. Now, a little treat is a dopamine hit because it's built into us. It's our survival mechanism. When you do something that is good for your survival as this mammalian body that we are, you get this hit of dopamine, right? So there's plenty of sources of dopamine, and one of them is when you connect with people or someone likes your post or um you get a little ding that someone is giving you attention or um when you drink caffeine, it releases dopamine too. When there's all these things that build motivation and we live in a world where we don't really have to be motivated to do things to survive anymore. We our survival is easy. And so there's these other mechanisms that people have built or created to hit our dopamine that keep us coming back for more. This could be a totally another tangent on the food industry, but the foods that are engineered to trigger our dopamine so that we want to eat more are foods like chips and Cheetos. And they've found science they've they've researched and science will tell you that when you eat a food that is this big or oversized to the amount of nutrients in it, like a Cheeto, your brain gets a dopamine hit, but then it's motivated to get more because it didn't get fully like what it anticipated. And so
0: that's interesting. Okay. So are very people are just listening. So, so try to explain that once again, just to make sure that they understand. So if the brain thinks oh, right. that it's getting.
1: So a cheese puff, right? The cheese balls. That's a good example you have a cheese ball that is maybe an inch in diameter and you eat it, but when you eat it and you crunch, the crunch is so satisfying, the salt is so satisfying, and then it dissolves in your mouth and what you actually swallow is a significantly smaller amount of volume and you're still hungry. And there's actually a brain effect that happens that sugar, salt, or the carbs, salt and fats releases a dopamine that tells your body, hey, good job, you're doing something that's helping your survival, but you're still hungry. So the volume wasn't there and there's this addictive process in that food and it is engineered to be that way which is really i think unethical on the food uh, side of things but anyways so all this to say i told this guy this is about your brain it's not about your tooth it's not about being hungry and it's not about you being addicted to sugar it's you're addicted to dopamine and that i feel like is an important realization that i personally had was i'm addicted to dopamine and i'm not getting it in healthy ways and how do i need to do this in healthy ways and there's a context right go ahead
0: i can interject here so oftentimes with clients they will actually say that to me they'll say i was i don't i don't even get why i did it i wasn't even that hungry I had just barely eaten or anyways. So sometimes people often associate it with just hunger. Well, you were in a calorie deficit. You were hungry. Well, yeah, they were in a calorie deficit, but I cannot tell you how many times my clients have been like, I don't get it. I wasn't that hungry and I just couldn't stop.
1: So that uh, something that I learned is hunger is a context or it's an environment. It's a stressor when you're hungry, it's a stressor that's being added. And so your ability to uh, say no to a craving for dopamine is more difficult. So if the way that you've coped with uncomfortable feelings, uncomfortable situations has become over time, turning to food, then that will be, sort of an overlap where it's like, I'm hungry. Okay, yes, you are hungry. But you're also in this stressed or mental state where your body wants dopamine and it wants to feel good. And so that overlap of hunger and wanting to feel good seems like, oh, sensibly, I'm going to turn to food. But the problem is dopamine doesn't want to (laughs) wait. Dopamine wants to go now, like I want to hit and I want it now. And so you turn to the foods that are fast and feel good. You don't think I'm going to slice up some avocados and I'm going to make myself a chicken sandwich. Um, Mm -hmm. Like that's just pure hunger is those foods sound good. And you know, we talk to our kids all the time, right? Where they're like, I'm so hungry, but the only thing I'm hungry for is sugar. And this has been really helpful to see is, Oh, you, you want to feel good right now. You just, you're wanting dopamine. And um, so those habits are,
0: we always say that to them. We say, well, if you're hungry, oh oh, good. You're hungry. Here's an apple. Well, I, I'm not hungry for that. I'm hungry for the, the Oreo. Okay. So you're not hungry because if you're hungry, then anything will do. You're not hungry. And we always point that out to them. And I think that that's important that adults get that pointed out too. Okay. There's a huge difference between being hungry. And so, you know, a few more like an apple or a few slices of an orange will satisfy that hunger or okay what do you really want do you want this hit
1: of dopamine yeah exactly and um the brain science is helpful to an extent right and i've talked to other people about this and they're like "Does, does it help you to know that it like is dopamine like what okay now you know that it's dopamine What does that change? Like, what does that do for you? Yeah. And there's another element to this whole process um, that is a stifling element, and it's emotional, and that's shame. Like, you mentioned earlier, you're like, you're not addicted to sugar. You didn't walk into the closet uh, secretly and start spooning spoonfuls of sugar in your mouth, but actually kind of did. It wasn't spoonfuls of sugar. It wasn't pure sugar that you're addicted to like cocaine, right? Mm -hmm. You're addicted to that dopamine in the same sense. You walked into that closet secretly and you were scarfing Oreos. You were (laughs) whatever. And and for me, another instance that was alarming was bread and honey. It's the weirdest thing. It was, uh... And, and just to map it back to the reward center is I had also switched from my workout reward was my post-workout carbs was bread and honey and so you can see how my brain was attaching reward to substances and the reward became bread and honey so then it wanted more reward and in a moment of terrible weakness right or just overwhelm where the kids were going crazy my emotions were going crazy i just couldn't handle the situation I was putting honey on bread and I was shoveling in uh, slices of bread with honey on it. it's because that taste and that sensation had become attached to the reward that I wanted to feel, which was just to feel good. And I, this, I like, I'm leaning into my shame as I say this out loud. knowing how many people may be listening to this because it is embarrassing. It is kind of like, This is shameful. This is stupid. And I feel stupid having done it. But I like I ate 10 slices of bread with honey on it. 10 slices of bread. When I say that out loud, that's like uncomfortable. But my stomach was full and I was really uncomfortable. But I was just having another one of these out of body, like I'm watching myself almost separately eat this bread. So uncomfortable. But I was just chasing this feeling of I just want to feel better. And I don't even know why I'm doing this. And in my head, my um, my amygdala, or not my amygdala, but my prefrontal cortex is screaming, stop, stop eating this stinking bread. But my amygdala or my animal brain is just, and my reward center is like, no, I want to, I'm not there yet. I haven't hit my satisfaction yet. And so there is a tolerance just like there is with substance abuse. There's a tolerance that builds up. And the more we... Um, fuel high dopamine activities, eating is one of them, it can be one of them, then our reward center brain tissue actually grows in size. And I think that's important to know that you can grow it and you can also equally shrink it. Um, And that comes with detoxing. And the detoxing is let that part of your brain and your system relax. Let it get regulated back down. And And so there's healthy ways to reach healthy levels of dopamine where you're not overloading the system with dopamine. And that part of your brain matter actually then starts to reduce back in size. And that reduction in size is the reduction in dopamine appetite. And the reduction in dopamine appetite means more manageable uh, cravings, if you will.
0: So what does that look like in application?
1: Okay. So um, another story that you can relate with too is when you are on a plan and you stick to a plan you start to feel like your cravings shrink and everyone who's been on a plan and stuck to a plan for a while notices and will start to say things like i'm not really i don't really want treats anymore like i don't even want desserts i'm really enjoying my food my food is tasting better but they're making the same foods that they've been making like i just really enjoy my meals And they can go out to eat with their friends and not feel like they have to get a dessert. And suddenly they start to say things that start to sound like I'm in control of my food. But what is happening is their desire for dopamine from food has started to reduce. And food tastes good again because food is not a source of a drug hit, so to say.
0: So I just want to interject in this, and this is, this is actually proven with research. People think that when you get into a calorie deficit, you have more cravings, and that's actually not supported by the data. The data is you actually have less. So I thought that was really interesting. Ben House is a scientist that talks about that, that you think that there are more, but there's actually less cravings. But, but, but. There is, um, a slight reduction in, in the dopamine effect that you get when you do eat something really sweet. So for example, if you show somebody, um, who's not in a calorie deficit, if you show them a milkshake, then they're going to be really excited to eat it when they're done. If you show them another milkshake and they're not in a calorie deficit, remember that If you show them another milkshake, they actually won't have the same response. They're like, Oh no, I'm, I'm satisfied. Like I, that doesn't even look good. Right. Mm-hmm. But you show that you to somebody who's in a calorie deficit, you show them a milkshake and their brain has the certain response and they eat the milkshake. And then you show them another picture of a milkshake and their brain actually has an increased desire for it. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of interesting. It it can't be satisfied almost. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of interesting in that, yes, we actually have less cravings over time when we're in a calorie deficit because we are kind of, pushing down the amounts of sweets we are having. And so it does reduce the cravings for them. But when we do indulge in something, we have to be extra cautious in a calorie deficit because the reward that we receive back, the cueing that's happening in our brain doesn't get the same effect as if we're in just maintenance. Does that make
1: sense? That makes a lot of sense. And I think that um that would be that'd be cause for maintenance in a sort of non cheat mode kind of just eating yeah. healthy. Stay in maintenance, yes. eat healthy for a long time, build your palate, and reduce your desire for dopamine. Right?
0: Yeah, that's actually um, that's a really good point.
1: So how many times has a client been on plan? And they're feeling really good about their plan. And then you introduce cheat meals or they go out for a cheat meal that, you know, we won't call it cheat meals, but a refeed meal, whatever you want to call it,
0: whatever you want and to they call indulge. it, that's not going to trigger you. Right. <laughs> Some people hate
1: that. Trigger warning. I,
0: I'm not a, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the term cheat meals, but I also am not triggered by it. Some people are really triggered, triggered by that
1: word alone. Right. Basically an right. untracked meal, right? Yeah. So then they go How and they you have an untracked meal. And then how many times have you heard them say, then I just couldn't get back on plan for two, three days, four days, or the whole next week. They're like, I just couldn't get back to my plan. And it's because Uh their system was triggered in a way that they couldn't re-regulate their dopamine. They had turned on their dopamine cravings to a level that they couldn't pull it back down and they felt totally out of control again.
0: But how good is it for, for people to listen to this and say, okay, this is actually normal that if I, if I go out to eat and I'm having some drinks, I'm having that huge Sunday, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Like I Mm -hmm. schedule that with clients all the time. Like on the weekends, you get your one untracked meal, um, depending on the client, it may harm their progress or it may help. So you have to be so cautious about that. We'll have an entire episode just on this idea, but how many times does that happen? You're right. And people just go, it's it's one meal that ticks them over to now it's three days later. And it is because they are searching for that high and they're not getting it. If they're in a calorie, if they're in calorie maintenance, they're getting it if they're in a calorie deficit, there's something else going on in the brain where they don't get it. And they, so they keep searching for it. That's kind of what mm-hmm. you're saying, right?
1: Yeah. They're, so, and their tolerance is building. It's back again.
0: So then let's talk about it. What do they do? What do they do? You, you said there's, there is a sort of detox mm-hmm. um, where, like you said, we, we, we lower the amounts of We don't have to totally get rid of, for example, the cookies. But if we lower the amounts, then it does actually
1: help with the cravings. There might might be a period of time where you do have to put the cookies away. Like you do have to not buy cookies for a while. Yeah. Until you can introduce moderation because maybe they're too triggering. Maybe the trigger on your dopamine system is too much when you have two Oreos and it's like, I can't stop myself. You know the whole Pringles you can't just eat one or Lay's you can't just eat one. <laughs> yeah like, like sorry, we engineered this so you can't eat just one.
0: <laughs> um yeah.
1: And I think there's a couple of things. And this is this is where I was kind of going is there what do you do? And first step, and this is what the the guy that I was talking to on the the chat form was asking me is like, "Well, where do I start? How do I get rid of my my craving, right?" And we're, I don't even know where to start. And I said, well, you, you have to start with letting go of the shame. And I think a lot of your audience has a lot of shame because food becomes moralized and there's this, I'm, I'm bad at this fitness thing because I can't stop myself. Right. Or I can't stay on plan. Many times as a client said, I, I'm sorry, I just can't stick to my plan. And um, there's a lot of shame that comes in it because I should be able to stick to my plan. But when you understand there's more going on than just doing or not doing the plan, there's more that you have to learn about yourself. So then the next step is, once you let go of your shame, realize this is normal and it's just a habit that you've picked up in coping with stressors in your life that now you have to approach it differently. And approaching it differently is really about mindfulness. And I think mindfulness is an overly used um, concept. But it's also an extremely powerful concept. And so, so mindfulness, what does
0: mindfulness really mean? Because you hear yeah, that thrown around so often.
1: It's such a cliche term now. But it is, in other words, another way is probably self-awareness. I would say it's the ability to become aware of your situation without being controlled by your situation. And it's, it starts with you didn't stop yourself from eating those treats. You didn't stop yourself from indulging or acting out in a certain way. But you noticed it, and after the fact, you're able to sit and take inventory without shame. So that's why letting go of the shame is, is important first because when you're sitting in shame having just eaten 10 slices of bread with honey on it, and you realize, I think I just ate, uh, what is it, <laughs> 10 times 20? So I just ate like, four or 500 grams of carbs in one sitting. Yeah.
0: But also, isn't it interesting that shame is tied to either you, like you are a fit person, Alex. Like everybody knows Alex is the muscle guy. Mm -hmm. Everybody, I mean, in our neighborhood, this woman, this, this couple was talking, they told Alex this later. This couple was talking and the husband's like, who do you think is the buffest guy in the neighborhood? And (laughs) his wife was super quick to be like, Alex Parker. (laughs) It's like, but that's what you're known as. So people who are known as, as I'm fit, and then they do something that's counter that, that's very shameful. They want to hide it, Mm -hmm. but not just fit people, people who have the desire to be labeled as that too. Mm -hmm. In a sense, their identity is tied into that. There's a desire of what their identity wants to be tied into. I want to be known as the fit person. I want to be known as somebody who looks this way. And so when you act in opposition to that, you then feel this gap grow. And there's so much shame in that. And you want to hide that.
1: Because then your mind starts spinning up thoughts like, I'll never be there. I'll never get there. I'll never be able to achieve my healthy, fit body that I want to be identified as because of this way that I am. Right. But mindfulness is awareness and detaching from that identity, it is separating from the way I eat is who I am, or the way my body looks is who I am. And cutting that tie is really hard because especially with the body because it's like, it's you, it's like, but this is what, what you see, you see, you see you, right. Yeah. But yeah. that level of, of growth in, I am not my body. I'm way more than my body. I am how I am with other people. Right. And that is an important way to start shifting the way that you see yourself is I am not defined by my body.
0: Cause I say this all the time at, At a funeral. I have never been to a, I've been to a lot of funerals. (laughs) Apparently I'm, I'm friends with a lot of old people. Um, no, I have. Maybe all your people aren't dying yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I am. I've been to a lot of funerals. I've never once, never once heard anybody say anything about their physical traits. Never once. They always talk about how they made them feel. They always talk about that or about some incredible thing that they accomplished that they felt so good about. Not once have I ever heard somebody mention aesthetics. And, and, and I would say that that's probably your funeral is probably the biggest gauge of who you were, what people remember you as. Nobody's remembering your body.
1: Nobody is. So, so you let go of it too, right? Yeah. If no one else is holding on to it, you shouldn't either. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's neglect it. Like love yourself because you love yourself, you take care of your body so that you can enjoy life.
0: Yes, exactly. You don't neglect it because you still want you we are living so much longer now and you want right. your level of um
1: what is it called? It's more the... mileage. Like you need more mileage on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's but like a car. What? It's
0: not just quantity of life, it's quality. You want yeah. your quality of life to be up, and that's why we focus on strength and health. And 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 if you can keep a healthy mindset while you shoot for aesthetic goals, then that's great. Some people can't, some people can't.
1: Yeah. What were you saying about a car so... though? <laughs> Oh, it's just like a car. You're driving a car, and there's some people that are super. They've attached their identity to the car that they drive, and you watch how difficult it is for them. Um, and and there's a tension there between them and their car. Their car's messy. Their car's dirty. They're upset. Like they're triggered. They're up, like, it's we're not it's those like, people, oh, by
0: the way. <laughs>
1: <right>? <laughs> we have successfully detached we, from our vehicle. We
0: we have the most like junkiest cars. <laughs> I mean, we tried to keep them nice, but anyways, yeah, we're, we're not car so people. The point, the point being
1: when you, I mean, we can learn a lot here, but when you take care of the car, you get more miles out of it. Right. Yeah. But, but you don't need to obsess about it to the point that it is who you are, right? Mm-hmm. It's easy to yeah. separate the metal from the person, but our person is not like our body is not who we are either. And if we can learn to separate that as well, we can start to detach. Okay. You know what i had an episode i ate a bunch of oreos and i didn't feel good afterwards what can i learn from it how can i get curious about my situation in that moment what was i feeling what was i stressed about why was i turning to that what what did i not do that i could have done maybe next time sort of replay it mentally walk back through that situation again like how will i act next time and and sort of like you watch a replay on a, a game that you played right you play a sport game you watch the replay oh next time this happens you're trying to train yourself how am I going to act differently in that moment? Right.
0: I've heard you talk a lot about the pause, and this is something that I've started teaching my clients too the pause Mm -hmm. and how there is power in the pause. So talk about that one for a minute.
1: So this, I also, I don't know what our time is right now. We're at 36 minutes. Okay. Um, I did want to also bring up other ways that we, um, can act on this because there's a lot of men that eat and they don't really care how they eat but food is not the only indulgent in this life right now that is really trying to pull us down and um this is it is a hard subject because there's a lot more shame involved in it um but let's let's be honest with all of the tvma shows and all of the internet pornography is not a surprise that it exists to anyone and that has also been a struggle for myself as well as many people that I know and that is also a dopamine indulgent activity and so I share this sensitively in hopes that any female or male that is listening to this podcast can also let go of that shame and get curious about why they feel out of control. Um, Because having experienced both, food as well, they feel the same. And feeling out of control feels the same. And being pulled by my reward center feels the same. And so the pause is absolutely one of the most powerful things. But it's not magic. It doesn't just oh i know how to pause now now it's all gone it's it's like moving a marker it's like how what's the soonest that you can recognize you have lost um what feels like you have lost your agency in the moment and maybe it's after the fact to start and so then you take inventory and you take that pause and that pause is i just overindulged and in this moment i'm going to let go of the shame and i'm going to take inventory but I'm going to look back at this inventory so that I know what flags can I set up? What tripwires can I set up that will allow me to pause sooner next time? So that when I open the pantry door, a signal fires off in my head. Why am I walking into the pantry door? And that why is the pause. That's your cue. Like, stop, just freeze and pause and think. Like Why am I walking in the pantry door? What am I feeling right now? What am I running from? What am I trying to cope with? What am I stressed about? What are my emotions? like? If you have to like, run to a journal, write it down. That helps because the slowness of writing with your hand versus typing or anything else allows you time to think and process as you're writing. And so at first, the pause is after the fact, and you feel terrible, and you're learning how you write a Then it's slowly moving up until you can get cues to where... You haven't moved, but you notice the feeling, I want to go get a snack. Or I want to go click on some source of dopamine. And the sooner that you can move that flag or that cue or that tripwire to notice that you are headed or that you're feeling a pull from your dopamine reward center, then the sooner you are able to make decisions. And so you're moving your agency up in front of your reward center of your brain subconscious reactions and you're saying no i'm in charge but i need to i need to set the alarms a lot sooner and it's like when you're when you're on the freeway and you need to get off the freeway what if every time you needed to get off the freeway the only signs that said there was an exit was after there was an exit <laughs> yeah you you're I going, think that that's oh, how missed... a lot of people feel. Yeah. It's like, I missed the exit. There was no signs. I didn't see where the exit was. But then you're like, okay, I, next time I drive this road, I need to pay attention. What did I miss? Well, there was a building. There was this. There was a tree. There was something else. And you're trying to like set up the mental cues so that you can recognize the exit next time. Next time you're on that freeway, you're driving, and you need to get off that exit again. And you notice the tree. But the tree was like right as the exit was happening. But you notice it and you're like, ah, screech, and you like swerve and you like pull off the exit and you got off. Right? Like mm-hmm. you got off the exit. But it was like really stressful and it was hard and it was like scary. Am I gonna die in this moment? So then you take your pause in that moment. Okay, what 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 came sooner than the tree? What came sooner than the building? What other landmarks or markers were there that I can pay attention to? Oh, maybe the road curved a little bit before the exit. So next time you're driving down that road that is stressful or whatever and you notice the curve in the road your mental capacity starts firing up oh here's the curve that's the curve that i noticed oh there's the tree okay i'm getting off the exit and that's kind of the process of slowly building your awareness of the road that you're driving on because the opposite is you drove from one location to the other location you arrive and you're like how did i get here i i don't even remember all the stoplights i don't remember all of the turns like I know I've had that situation where like you unconsciously mm-hmm. drove home yeah. from work and you're like, I don't even remember the process of getting here. Yeah, And that's kind of where people are is going through life. You are kind of on autopilot and you're at the mercy of all these signals that are just pulling on your instinctive actions as a mammal and a human. And so it's our job to, to raise our awareness, to start paying attention, to get mindful. And that's what mindfulness is to me. Is being present in the moment where you are, which is every moment as you're driving through life, paying attention to the cues that are pulling you in different directions and not being pulled by them, but learning from them, being aware of them and, and being able to set yourself in a position to make a decision, um, consciously opposed to unconsciously. And
0: I I really (laughs) like that because that, that pauses creating a gap. And I love the analogy that you use because there has to be, if, in order for you to get off the exit, there has to be a gap where there is a real decision that's being made, not just this autopilot decision, but a real, you have to have the gap. And a lot of times we have to create that gap. So if I can reiterate some of those things that you said, where at first we create the gap maybe or this moment of pause after the fact, because we've we've set up this reward system, we've set up these habits of, I feel this way, I turn to this. And it's interesting talking to people with addiction because you know alex there's a lot of people who talk about their drug and their their alcohol addiction and those are kind of i mean there's still obviously shame involved in that but those are kind of more acceptable addictions um where it's like let me let me tell you how i've learned about self control about dopamine about getting out of this triggered and this cycle let me help you because i've been there I've been there with food or I've been there with alcohol or I've been there with, uh, drugs talking about it with a sex addiction. There's, I think takes a lot of courage because there's far more shame that I feel like as a society, we induce on that and that shame keeps, yeah. And that shame keeps people in the dark more. I was talking to somebody who their husband has a, a sex addiction. And he's been working through it. And he got invited by his brother. His brother has an alcohol addiction. And he got invited by his brother to come and speak to his his uh, alcohols anonymous group. And he went and he spoke. And afterwards, this guy came up to him and said, "Um, there were a lot of things said. But afterwards, this man came up to him and he goes, man, I can get away from my addiction. You're just in your head. How do you do that? And he's like, I can, I can just not have it in my house. You it's on every single device. I don't know how you do it, but it was interesting because it's the same exact, um, in talking with people with pornography addictions, we're talking with people with alcohol and drug addictions with talking to my friend who is anorexic. That one was super fascinating because and I'll have Becky on here one day to talk about her experiences. But when I was telling her about things that we've been facing Alex with, with your addiction and how that's affected a lot of things. And I talked to her about how you feel and what sends you down that spiral. She said things like Lindsay replace pornography with anorexia and I feel like you're describing me. It is the same exact thing. And there are women who are probably listening to this who are real binge eaters not not I had 3 cookies I'm a binge eater. No 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 okay guys. There's a real <laughs> there's a real disorder. There's a real binge eating disorder. And it's not just eating one or two cookies when you know you quote unquote shouldn't. I'm sure they're listening thinking that's ex- that's that's me, that's it. Because it has nothing to do. We always want to say it has to do with the food. It has to do with the substance, but it doesn't. It's just these habits and these dopamine. Um, us trying to find peace within ourselves, and we, we're turning to all of these things. But, anyways,
1: JFF um, calls it a maladaptation we've adapted to life in a destructive way. Yeah. And it doesn't, we have to learn.
0: And there's just, yeah, there's always when we have an idea of who we are, but we're not living in integrity with that, there's going to be so much shame Mm -hmm. that comes with that. But anyway, so me and Alex have been on a journey over the past year and a half, two years of, um, of learning to spot like these things, and um so a lot of times it comes after the exit, right? You have you spot it, and you're like, "Why did I? Why didn't I get off the exit? Why didn't I know it was coming? I'm so stupid! Like, why didn't I?" And it and all of the you know the the should storms come down. I should have done this. I should have done that. It but it's missed
1: an exit and actually thought that like, "Oh my yeah. gosh. Now I've got to go six miles down the road to turn around.
0: uh, (laughs) And now I'm like 10, 15 minutes late and I'm going to be even later. And it's like, it's so frustrating. And um, so I think that the pause is so important and we shouldn't judge ourselves on where the pause comes from as long as the pause happens. So sometimes the pause comes after the exit and, and we need to just, we can't label it as good or bad. We can't identify it. We just need to pause and say, okay, what happened? And and get a little bit better at moving that dial to identifying it a little bit closer to the exit. And then even further back from the exit. And then even further back. And then even so pretty soon in, in two miles before the exit, you're like, I know there's an exit right there. I know it's coming. But that takes Work that takes a ton of work, and so I love that you bring up being self aware. And if we bring it back to the cravings, this desire for this dopamine hit, I'm I, like sometimes the exit is you know, we've already passed the exit, and, and we have to pause and say, What were the signs? How am I tired? Am I frustrated? Do I have a screaming baby around me? What were the signs that just, I just want to feel good.
1: All of the above, maybe.
0: (laughs) All of the above, right? Yeah. And so I really love this pause of, okay, there's a craving. (laughs) It's not good or bad. It's just there. I don't have to identify myself with it. I don't have to um, be fully like, fully submerge myself in it. I can just pause and say, it's there. I'm having this craving, no big deal. And then once we become aware of that, then we can almost create this gap where we can be more intentional in our decision to, is it okay for me to have that? Or does it not line up with my goals in life, whatever it may be. And so we can create this gap and we can show up being far more intentional in, if I have one, will then it send me down a path that I don't want to go down. How else can I fill this gap? Is there something healthier that I can fill this gap in? How else can I feel good? And I had a client tell me, she started filling the gap with, who can I serve? Who needs to be served right now? Because service brings connection which does give me that dopamine hit. and I thought which that is why was a lot weird. of anonymous
1: groups are about reaching out. Um, mm-hmm. I attended some anonymous groups. That wasn't my style of approach. Um, and everyone needs to find what fits with how they approach things. Right. Now. There are food groups that are mm-hmm. modeled after the anonymous groups and it's a binge eating anonymous groups or a food food addicts, anonymous groups. I laugh because I don't know that many people even know that they exist. In these anonymous groups, one of the big things is contact points. So of the group, they'll review each week how many contacts or, or contact points did you have with another member in the past week? And that really is, it's a method, but when you look at it, it is how many times did you healthily reach out for dopamine connection. How many times did you establish the habit of being healthy and connecting in good coping ways with life? When life was hard, when life was stressful, did you reach out? Did you call a friend? Did you, um, make some sort of connection? Because that really does help. I love that that person said, who can I serve? Because I feel like that's what level up than just connecting. Yeah. Is really doing Something that lifts you up.
0: But the connection is really good. And that is why a lot of times people will have more success with a coach. Because there's that that touch point that this is how I'm doing. This is what I'm frustrated about. But do you know what's really sad is when people have a coach, but they feel like they need to just show up in perfection with the coach. So I'll have people say, well, I didn't check in this week because I didn't follow the plan. And so I'll check in next week. Like, okay, but you realize the whole point of coaching isn't so you can show up in some masquerade of perfection. It's so that when, because then you don't need a coach. It's so that when you're struggling, you have a touch point. You have somebody you can reach out to and say, man, this is a hard day today. This is what's going on. And sometimes just reaching out, writing that email, thinking through is causing, is allowing you that pause.
1: It's also important as a coach to understand those people are still really struggling with their own shame. And so how, as a coach, can you help that person feel at ease and not criticize? Because like this person is struggling with their own internal shame. Probably, I can't say always, but it's probably nothing the coach has done to make them feel shamed. There are coaches out there that are extremely critical and do shame cast on their clients. Um, but this person is struggling with a shame and a fear of imperfection. How, as a coach, can you help them feel at ease to come to you and to connect with you because they're struggling with following the plan? It's like, it's okay. A good check-in is better than no check-in or like a check-in is better than no check-in. Mm-hmm. And a check-in where you followed one day out of seven is better than zero out of seven. Like there's this spectrum that has to be followed and the spectrum is okay to be on that anywhere. This, connect check in and don't be afraid because I'm here as your coach to help you to support you not to judge you and criticize you but just I'm coaching you on by your side I'm not at the finish line
0: mm, I love that that's really good so to finish up is there anything else that you maybe were thinking about that you wanted to share in conclusion with our listeners
1: yes so there are things um There are things to help you manage your dopamine, and it's not just dopamine. There's serotonin and dopamine. Sometimes a shortage of serotonin can cause um, urges to fill that with dopamine. Low serotonin can come from poor nutrients. Poor nutrients comes from maybe not eating enough complete proteins because you need complete proteins to, most serotonin comes from your gut. So anyways, that to say, Good nutrients will help you overall manage this whole process. More emphasis on getting healthy, eating those healthy whole voluminous foods, right? Um, But then on top of that, there are, and I've been reading this for our kids' sake, there are high dopamine activities and there are low dopamine activities. And it's good to balance out with low dopamine activities, especially in your detox. Do things that help you feel good. They provide rewards that require work. And those low dopamine activities are um, easy wins are cold showers. I shouldn't say easy, but a cold shower Ugh, releases. I hate dopamine. those.
0: <laughs> Don't say that.
1: But they release dopamine. <laughs> How? Um, so that's what things. all the. Okay. We'll come back to the cold showers, but um, <laughs> there are puzzles like putting puzzles together is a, do- is a low dopamine activity and it's very fulfilling and satisfying but it's not high stimulation. So it's not overloading your reward center, but it is feeding it in a good and healthy way. So finding things that are therapeutic, knitting, like crocheting. And I, I feel like our society is moving away from a lot of these low dopamine activities as we get more devices, more screens, more high stimulation streaming, right?
0: Oh, But you we need to pull you... them back in. Well, you mentioned this the other day because we have a friend who, um, it, when you're in recovery and, and I've been doing some, some therapy with the things that have happened in our life over the past year and a half. And they always tell me you need, you need your you time. You need self care. And I remember being very frustrated because I'm like, what is self care? Like going to the gym for me, that's self care. That's just part of my life. But in recovery, I felt like I needed something more. And nobody could, and people were saying things like, get a massage.
1: And I'm like, well, get your nails done.
0: <laughs> yeah. Go get your nails done. I'm like, that, th- that doesn't seem like self. Something. I don't know why, but for me, I'm like, I feel like we're missing the mark. I feel like that's a superficial self-care. And then there are some people out there that are like, well, my self-care is at night watching a Netflix show or scrolling through tiktok and i'm like i don't know if that's real self-care i think it's a facade i think it's actually just kind of part of this whole like i i don't know what are your thoughts
1: well i don't i wish i could remember where i read it so i could give credit where it was due but i read this and this is what i said to the other day the self-care is nourishing not numbing and i that just like locked it in for me in that having 20 minutes of silence is very nourishing for me and it's not always like fun it's not stimulating to sit there and just Mm -hmm. be quiet right but it is very nourishing and working out is nourishing to your muscles to your body eating whole foods is nourishing watching netflix is not nourishing doesn't mean you can't have it and we don't need to moralize that too as good or bad yeah yeah it needs to not be confused for a nourishing Mm self-care just like cookies are not bad they're also not nourishing. They are empty calories. They're okay. They're fine in their place. But they're not self-care. You're not enjoying life by filling your life with voided consummation of things. Um, I could say that better. Consummation of void like value. There is there's so many things that have no intrinsic nourishing value in them, and we overindulge in them. They're the junk food, they're the pornography, they're the Netflix, they're the streaming, they're the social media scrolling. We call them what are they, doom scrolling. All the apps that offer an a, a infinite scrolling source of entertainment is the doom scroll. So there's all these things that are not nourishing to us, but they're very numbing. And they numb us out from experiencing real life. And so I really feel like getting self-care is getting to the things that really help us feel recharged, rejuvenated, and add value to our lives. It doesn't mean we have to completely eliminate all the other things, right? Um,
0: Just know the difference.
1: Just know the difference so that you can choose. Right.
0: Because some of them, for some people, it's like, well, it's not just a matter of it's not nourishing. Some of them, for some people, are, no, this is actually damaging. It's having negative effects mentally and emotionally emotionally to you. Right. Doesn't matter right. how common it is. It, like we, I mean, as like we've been talking a little bit about pornography, the research coming out on pornography, people used to think, well, this is just a moral issue. This is a religious issue. Mm-hmm. The science is coming out pretty clear now on what it does to relationships. It, um,
1: even relationships it, that openly acknowledge it and embrace it as a couple, mm-hmm. they're finding it is degrading and it's, it's affecting the couple, even if they're open and accepting of it together. And so there is no harmful, harmful directly in their use, but it's actually degrading the relationship because it is a void of value product.
0: It is really interesting. And we look at social media and that there's just nonstop scrolling and we think, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, everybody's doing it. And it's the same kind of thing. But look at the, the increase of mental health issues. Like Mm -hmm. we can't ignore what's going on in our society since the, the, the rise in social media. And we're not, we just don't know how to handle it. We don't know. Most adults don't know how to handle it put it in the hands of children. I mean, this is a whole other topic we could go off on uh, that I don't want to, um, I don't want to uh, branch off too much in, but it is, I I want to bring it back to the find self care. That's, I love what you said. It's not numbing. It's nourishing. And I think that that's where people who have the ability to experience a lot of joy in their life. They're the ones who, they turn away from the numbing and they look for the more nourishing. But really quickly, you were talking about high dopamine activities versus low. And you're saying that we should seek out more of
1: the lower low, low dopamine because there's so much high dopamine activity in like available to us. So the low dopamine activities are the like the quiet time, the doing a puzzle, the learning to build things. Um, people have gotten into 3d printing. It's just, things that are not really stimulatory and are stimulating. And, um, on top of that, what's the
0: danger, what's the danger of the high versus the low, why do you want to go for more low versus high?
1: So if it's sort of like, if you walk into a pantry of all junk food and, and sweets, I would say, look for the nourishing foods in the pantry because inevitably you're going to get some of the junk, right? And so that's why I'm saying look for the low dopamine activities because it's not as common right now. It's not as prevalent. It's not as easily accessible. And it's not pushed in front of your face. And it doesn't just suck you in, right? So look for it intentionally because a balance of high dopamine activities and low dopamine activities is actually what you're after. And if you're trying to balance something and there's 80% high dopamine activities available to you and screaming in your face and 20% low dopamine activities available to you, You're going to need to like more intentionally and actively pursue the low dopamine activities in order to maintain a better balance. Just like it requires an increased effort to look for and prepare whole foods in creating foods because you go to the grocery store and it's just quick and easy access to all of the fast food, right? Ready, packaged up, it's got a barcode on it, eat it, done. So that would be um, that would be a takeaway that I would advise is look for low dopamine activities, ways to nourish yourself instead of numbing out. Um, and then I kind of made a bullet list here of things I hope that a listener would take away from this conversation. And that was one permission to let go permission, to let go of shame. And I feel like that's the best, most important starting point because that is when you miss your exit and just as soon as you can pull over and look back. Like, what what did I miss, right? And the second was know that there is a life where you don't have to feel powerless to it. You don't have to feel like you're not in the driver's seat and just have that little bit of hope if you feel hopeless. Um, the third is to have compassion on those that have learned a different coping methods than you and um i think that that then instills my next bullet point which is help others and i feel like just what you've explained on instagram and stuff there's this tendency to like go either or so someone's like oh i ate all this food and i feel bad so they're sitting in their shame but someone else who doesn't understand either comes and tries to oppose them and say all those foods are good or they're like the way that they approach them is It's like the complete opposite side of the spectrum. Thing like, oh, stop shaming yourself. Like you can eat those foods whenever you want. Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Like they, Mm -hmm. they overcorrect to the other side. And I think it's just let go of the shame, but also allow the person to want to change. Allow the person to want to change their situation and not be ashamed of the situation that they're in at the same time. And that's kind of a hard place to be for a lot of people. And then uh, the final bullet point is just spread the good news that change is possible. Like you can do it. And so can anyone else that wants to and just like have compassion on yourself in the moment. So. Well, those are my thank
0: you. Thank you, Han. I love you. I, I don't tell that to most of the people that I interview, so you should feel special. <laughs> I, don't end, I don't end my interviews with "Man, I just love you," <laughs> but um, this has been a wonderful talk, and I'm um, a wonderful episode, and I'm really excited for people to listen to it and realize a few things. Realize that maybe this doesn't have to do with my sugar tooth. Like maybe this isn't an addiction to sugar, but maybe there's another issue. Cause I remember you telling me the story about this guy coming back and he was saying, you're right. It's actually not about my sugar tooth. You're right in that. Like I've been kind of tracking my times. And when I have lulls through the day, that's when I want that hit. And so I'm hoping that people can kind of see those same patterns in their life, as they seek to be more self-aware, as they seek to pause more and be still and create that gap where they can be intentional about their choices in life and not be reactionary. Because we live in a world right now where we're kind of, we've been trained to be reactionary and we're not proactive, but we're rather acted upon In a lot of instances and to take back your power has to do with the pause, creating that gap where we can make those intentional choices. So this has been a great conversation that I feel like a lot of people will get a lot out of. So thank you so much for showing up on the show, for being vulnerable, for talking about not just like the science, this is what it says, but sharing a bit of your own story of Melanie, no, you've you've faced this in your life and and you are overcoming it and you're doing awesome. So I love you. I love
1: you too. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much for joining me today on the Lifting Lindsay podcast. If you have any questions, I would love to hear back from you. Uh message me on Instagram at Lifting Lindsay. You can also go to liftinglindsay.com to see coaching options as well as signing up for my optimized training app.